Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of the Coach Fury podcast. Uh, this woman is an old friend of mine, a dear friend of mine. I know you guys are like, Fury, you say that all the time. But yet again, this is another person who was in our wedding party, somebody that I hang out with frequently, um, somebody that I have the utmost of respect for, and we've had a lot of laughs and a lot of drinks together. It is RKC team leader, PCC team leader, just overall badass metalhead. You probably didn't know that, folks. Metalhead, Annie Vo. Annie, can you say hi to the crew? Hi, everybody. And why don't you tell us a little something about yourself and your training background now as you're currently sort of set up? Okay. Uh, as I'm currently set up, see, this is what happens when your dear friends. Fury knows all these intimate details about my life. I'll do it kind of in a snapshot. I was a co-owner of a small private training studio in Manhattan for about five or six years. And prior to that, I worked in a big gym. Um, and now I have transitioned, which is the elegant way of saying I sold my business and now, <laughs> and now work independently as a trainer, meaning I travel to clients' uh, gyms or homes and I rent space out of various places in Manhattan and Brooklyn to invite clients there. So my background is in kettlebells, calisthenics, barbell stuff, and pretty much anything that excites me along the way that's inspired by, uh, you know, reading, a client inquiry, personal injury, really anything that <laughs> is tied into physical culture. So, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, I definitely want to talk about the business switch. You know, the listeners have heard I've gone through a business switch myself, not on any sort of that dramatic of a level. Um, but I definitely want to talk about, you know, this role that we both have now as independent trainers after working or owning um, for very um, well-respected facilities and for gyms. But first, let's just go back a little bit. So Annie and I went through our RKC2 at the same time. We weren't on the same team. So that's going back to 2011. And then we really got to know each other at an RKC in Philadelphia in 2012. And that was an interesting RKC for a lot of reasons. That was actually one of the last ones um, as the split had been announced where, you know, we, we, we knew strong first was forming, but I don't know if we actually knew the name of it yet. Um, so this was one of the last certs, uh, that had some team leaders that went over in leadership that went over to strong first and some that stayed. Uh, so there was like a really interesting, exciting, extra nervous, I want to say environment from it, but the assistants, it was a killer crew. Uh, Right. We had Marshall. We had we, Noah. We Noah. Had, we had Charlie. Charlie. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Right. Um, Amanda Martin, Clark. I, think. I mean, Amanda Clark. Wow. We have the whole crew. It was, it was a hitters. I'm sorry for anybody that I'm forgetting. And that was one of those great weekends where we all got to a lot of the assistants hung out. We would meet up for breakfast and the attendees really, you know, they always bond together, but I think because of a little of that extra sense of nervousness, a lot of people got really close out of that one. Like I know like in particular, like um, close friends with Sharon now after assisting on that team. Uh, and certainly we all bonded and Noah and I would assist at several like Indian club things after that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the history is going on there. And then Annie got her role as an RKC team leader. Uh, I was doing work for both groups and then I got my role and, um, 
you know, as a, a senior, now a master and Annie and I, one of the best things about it is we get to teach together. And one of the things I'm very proud of together is actually help sort of, uh, build up the RKC back in New York to the point where we just had 40 plus close to 50 people at a crunch with Dan, John, Matt, Marr, yourself, and I. That's right. Um, so let's talk about that cert. What was your feeling when, when all, when we showed up at that cert with a little bit of that, like, uh, uh, uneasiness or uh, uneasiness not, might not even be the word. It was just, uh, it was almost confusion, right? It was like going through the divorce. We knew parents were breaking up. <laughs> how do you think that had a positive and how do you think that might've had a negative impact on that course? It's an interesting question now that, you know, a fair amount of time has passed because you know, I'm going to kind of depart a little bit. This is now my third kind of big career affiliation divorce, so to speak. So there was that one, there was my own gym, and there was uh, Jim Jones, um, which I, I used to be much more involved with um, in terms of mentorship and, and really, you know, learning a lot from there. So at any rate, my, my perception of it now is probably a little different because I think at the time, um, I was, yeah, a bit freaked out, you know, I'd gotten into kettlebells. I had started to become an assistant and being part of this community. And then it came down the line that this community would now be split or broken apart or who knows what. And I got to say any split of any kind, it, there's two sides to every story. And generally, it brings out, I would say, kind of the more unsavory aspects of both groups because there's expectations that don't become realized until you, you know, you're kind of pushed up against the wall and then you realize, okay, well, this person's letting me down or this thing is letting me down or whatever. So I, I, I didn't know at that time what it would mean, but I was definitely a little uneasy because I really loved that community and still do you know? Yeah, I'd agree. It was, it was, uh, I remember being so grateful for being there. Cause I remember I, I reached out to Dennis and John about assisting and I'd always gone to my, uh, level one and level two with Steve Millis, who was always assisting. So mm -hmm. we would get there early and just help out regardless. So I think Dennis yeah. actually thought I'd already assisted a couple of times. I was like, Dennis, I was an attendee. So I was really nice. excited to assist at my, for the first time in an RKC and to see you and just to be in this, you know, um, it was the same facility that I went through my first RKC in, in Downington. It wasn't Philly, it was Downington PA, but we always call it the Philly RKC. And I just remember, uh, and meeting John Hines, who was somebody who I assisted him and he was somebody that I was really looking forward to getting to know. I, it was always cool. Like when you get assigned to your friends that are in leadership, it's rad, but it's, it's cool when you get to know somebody different, when you're sort of forced to make that relationship. Uh, and I remember, I think if anything, everything was judged probably with a little bit of a harsher filter. Cause like, is this where it's going? Right. And it's funny to see now in hindsight how like happy I am with where it went. And that's not a diss on the other group, guys. I'll stress this every time there's a kettlebell conversation because it's always <laughs> going to be a little awkward. I've done work with both groups. I have friends with both groups. I want both groups to succeed. I happen to teach for the RKC. It aligns very well with my personality and my teaching style. Um, so that's about as dark and deep <laughs> as that, you know, secret gets. Like that's just it. Um, but I also think it was like a – it was a really, RKCs are always intense and that definitely 
added a level of intensity to it, right? It stepped up the game. But I think in hindsight, I remember like the victories of like when people pass their snatch test, like feeling even like bigger because <laughs> you know what i mean there was like extra uncertainty a little bit on these clothing and you slipped in yeah style you know that's it you're part of the old regime and, yeah. and we crushed it and i think there was a lot of that like let's get this in before this new thing has happened right like right. it's because we knew right. there was going to be changes um so that was really cool so i was like but i was especially stoked to get to hang out with you and hang out with noah marshall um and then i just love that we ended up being like super buddies hanging out a lot more often mm-hmm. and, and that's the thing i mean when when things like that happen you know it's funny how the psyche always kind of goes towards or at least i'll speak for myself you know you go into these contingency plans of all the horrible things that can go down will my career be affected will i lose friends i mean the whole thing but generally as tough as change is it, it comes you know once it kind of does its thing the outputs are generally positive you know, and, and I'm going to agree with you in terms of just the direction that we've moved and the attitude that we have and all this sort of thing. But, hey, I support all the groups that are out there. I think it's so cool that we have that freedom to have different groups that have different ethos and vibes and yep. you know, clicks that really make sense to them. You know, at the end of the day, I love kettlebells, as you know, but we're just doing kettlebells, you know, and I think the majority of us, <laughs> really are just interested in helping people, learning a little bit about ourselves, sharing some information, and maybe your personal preference is a little different behind closed doors, but you know, whatever. Like we're all, as far as I'm concerned, all the same and doing the same thing and, and really, you know, not so different. Yeah, I mean, we, we have to sort of look at this all outside the cert realm and, and into actually the training people realm, right? Like we, we yeah. gotta lose, we, we can't lose sight on that fact of why we're even doing these things. And I will say, <laughs> I, I, I know I got caught up in some of this us versus them stuff in the beginning or which side's better, like I know I did, but you know, I was also a pretty new trainer um, and just learning how to like find my place in this world. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I don't think, gets focused on the one really cool thing that that split did was it gave more of our friends an opportunity to teach because at that point you know you sort of there was like a crew of maybe like 15 people that were assisting at a lot of courses Mm -hmm. and now many of us all have leadership positions like if we look at you know rick garcia artemis uh jeff like it's given us uh, myself you it's given us opportunities to teach right and uh as long as you believe in the system and let's face it, a lot of our stuff is very similar. Uh, Don't tell them the secret. It's hard style. Um, but it's like, it's given us more opportunities to teach. And I think that's really cool because I think, you know, that for a while there was, I think, you know, pretty locked up to have somebody new come in and actually get promoted and, 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 you know, step up to the front. I think that was a hard spot. So in hindsight, I didn't even realize that at the time. I mean, clearly I saw, you know, within a year or two after the split that I had an opportunity that, you know, I, I jumped at, um, that, you know, really happy with, but I don't, you know, that might have never happened for any of us if that split had not happened. Right. Right. Yeah. It's easy to think about all the kind of negative things that could come out, but you, you can't even conceptualize the positive things because they're kind of out of your realm, you know? That's why they're so great. Half the best stuff that happens are things that you couldn't have predicted, you know? Yeah, I feel I feel bad if someone's listening right now expecting there to be, like, shit talking about that whole thing. 
<laughs> we're like letting him down. It's just not going to happen, guys. Uh, well, and yeah, the listeners even know what the hell we're talking about. You know? Well, I think a lot of the ones are going to carry a lore. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, and it, folks, uh, just to clear out the air, like I will be having instructors from Strong First and other kettlebell <laughs> groups like on this podcast. This isn't going to be like the uh, only people that Fury works with and teaches with. I just, these are my closer friends that I'm getting on in the beginning that I, I know have interesting things to say and I, I like to talk to with as much as possible. So uh, I just want to like make sure that's not a thing where it's not becoming like Fury's just going to talk about the RKC, DVRT, OS, and Strength Faction and MFF. It's like, nope, there's going to be other voices here. Um, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about, you know, selling off. Um, Annie had a, a really cool space, she was hosting certs. Uh, Jim Jones at a time, um, you know, there weren't a lot of facilities doing that. And I know it was like a hard move to sell. What was, what, what has that transition been like for you? What was the hardest part? And what has been like the most productive part of that switch from being an owner to now focusing on independent training and the coursework? Wow, this is loaded. This is loaded. So I'll start from the very beginning. I worked in a big gym, a big chain gym. And the vibe in there, I was getting into my own training, getting into Jim Jones and Steve Maxwell and all these different systems. And I felt like that environment really wasn't conducive for hard work. And I'm going to do hard work with quotation marks because I think uh, anything that's worthwhile requires a certain amount of effort. And a certain amount of concentrated effort requires a space that you can do that in, whether it's the you know tools that you need or the just free space you know the footprint to actually explore these sorts of things so in this big global gym i thought okay i need to get my own space so i collaborated and opened this gym and really was delighted by this whole process because you get your day is broken up into several different jobs some more glamorous than others you get to be a little bit of an accountant you get to be the trainer you get to do a little web design you get to you know make a logo and clean the toilet or whatever the job kind of demands. So for someone like me that, that really is into a few different things, it was great to break up my day with lots of different jobs. Um, it came to a point though, you know, now that I started to teach uh, these certs, you know, all over the country and eventually around the world, I was being pulled away from this kind of baby that I raised. So I had to step away and sell off that. But I, I loved it. I, lo I loved the experience of it. I, I wouldn't write it off. I might do it again. Who knows? Um, it's funny because the biggest transition, this is going to sound totally self-serving and maybe reveal a little too much about my ego, but you know, when you have a gym that you built, it, it's basically custom designed by you. Everything is placed where you think it should be placed and everybody, uh, you know, kind of works underneath your directives, your rules, everything else. So my workouts um, were very regimented. I could carve out a lot of specific time for specific things, follow my programs, impeccably, um, you know, challenge myself, do all these sorts of things because it was one place with every single item that I wanted, you know, at, at my disposal. So when I went independent, you, you get in a lot of time in many ways because now you're not doing this kind of, you know, high level, whatever, accounting and marketing and business and 
talking to the tax person or whatever it is that you were doing before, but my workouts suffered a lot because now I was in a lot of different spaces. I was, you know, traveling a lot now on the train or my bike or doing these sorts of things. And, you know, when you put out this energy expenditure, so the very thing that I got into owning my own business for having this space where you could push yourself and, you know, go there, I kind of was, I don't know. It was difficult to carve out that time in the beginning. You know, you've got all new clients, you're going to all these different places. And so you can't really throw down when you want to because you have to be present for this next person. You're going to a new part of town or you don't know what equipment's going to be there. And you've got to give these people a great workout. So that was probably the most difficult part of it. The second part, yeah. you know, and here I, here I am, you know, I didn't realize how much I had wrapped up my professionalism with my own kind of workout I guess program or, or sequencing, you know, that you always see these memes online, the trainers say, you know, lead by example. And that, and that's great. You know, they work out harder than anybody, you know, these, these, and I was guilty of that too. If you aren't doing it, then you don't care enough. And to a certain degree, I, I agree with that sentiment, but sometimes you don't have that time or you are choosing to allocate time to learn new things. You know, I had to learn how to create these workouts out of, you know, whatever my clients had in their living room. Maybe it was, you know, a pair of two pound weights and a cat, you know, it's not <laughs> glamorous. I'd love to throw down and show you all these cool kettlebell things that I know, but you don't have any kettlebells. And guess what? You're paying top dollar for me to work you out, for example. Yeah. So, and then after doing that, you know, it's exhausting. You, you're, you're trying to figure things, these things out. You're, you're bringing new clientele. You don't have a place you can bring them to. You're not really the boss. And when you make it to the gym, you're not really in a great headspace to do anything that intense. So I, it was really kind of steep learning curve in terms of realizing kind of what I was putting out there, who I saw myself was as a professional and as a person and how to find kind of a balance of working out the way that I, I think is best for me and that feels great while also quote unquote leading by example, while also, you know, doing this kind of unusual scheduling where you're going up and downtown and working with different tools, et cetera. Yeah, the running around, it's definitely, I think a lot of trainers can relate because a lot of us do that. Even if we have a staff job, a lot of us will have somebody on the side that we go and we train at their apartment or at another facility. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's an interesting thing. So I, my training had fallen way off my last year or so of um, uh, of being at MFF. It's not their fault mm -hmm. at all. But, you know, I, I traveled a lot last year. Right. Uh, I, you know, we opened up the Bowery location and I was just getting, even before the location, but certainly that, I, I was just feeling really ground out. And I've said this before, but, you know, how much we put in even to a one-on-one -on -one that's a friend that, how much energy goes into that? And it doesn't always seem that way, but it is because we're on in a way that most people wouldn't realize. It's like flying a plane almost. Like you're aware of like a lot of things happening and you're almost the whole time willing them to succeed, to do things better, uh, that you're tired. And I found sort of, you know, I found it really hard to get workouts in. While I was at MFF, fortunately, at some point, they actually started having down hours where the gym would uh -huh. be open. But like, even if you're, you know, you have an hour window, you have your session wrapping up, 
you have to change potentially. So that's 10 minutes in. And at the end of the session, you're going to have to like, basically like try to like wash off somehow, uh, get changed and mentally prepare for the next session. So that might be 10 minutes on the other end, you know, hope you don't have to pee or poop, you know? So like your window is <laughs> actually smaller. So a lot of people think we have all of this time to train and sometimes it's really cut short. Yeah. In my transition is like a fully independent trainer. And I basically train out of three locations. One person's an in-home at his, his apartment building has got an insane facility. Um, and then I train people in my apartment. You did your first 24 K pistol squad. In, that's right. <laughs> in room. That's right. And, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I train a catalyst in Midtown. And when you're hustling around, it's like, it's a different thing where sometimes I'll get workouts at Catalyst, but it's been pretty rare. Um, and I've just embraced the home workout. So yeah. it's affected my personal programming where I'm really not using barbell stuff much at all. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's almost all, um, ultimate sandbags, you know, kettlebells yeah. and body weight stuff. Um, so I think when you think about like, you, you know, uh, setting the example, I think you did an excellent job. And I know I've been in this place where sometimes I feel like I'm letting myself down and what this lens of what people are going to look at me is. Right. And I think, you know, the example is that like life truly does happen. Yeah. Like it truly does. And I think there's a human aspect out of that, that sometimes gets lost when people are viewing on the outside of what this should be. And we've yeah. talked about, I've talked about this before where sometimes the fittest looking person in the room is not the healthiest, best moving person in the room. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about training for life goals, you know, everyone wants to get leaner or stronger or bigger, right. but like the appearance of it and the actual, how that affects your quality of life is two very different things because right. you could be very good looking, look shredded, be one of those Instagram folks and literally have a miserable existence. Like everything yeah. can hurt. And I think like, I think it's kind of, it's been cool knowing you through both sides of this, right? Like, I've known you through both sides of this. So I think it's actually, uh, it, it's, I don't want to say I'm glad you went through it, but I think it's interesting <laughs> to see the change in your personality a little bit, like how you reflect on that. Oh because man, it was so humbling, you know? And I think the mistake is, okay, so everything costs something. Everything mm -hmm. costs something. So during a transition or this transition for me, I had to put a lot of kind of mental and emotional juju into having a totally different schedule. Even something as simple as, you know, I didn't realize I loved saying that I had a brick and mortar business and I think people treated me differently. You know, they're like, oh, she owns a business. She must have some sort of hidden secret about the world or adulting that I don't have. <laughs> and now that I'm a independent trainer, I have, much more experience than before, but the title of trainer kind of without that, you know, people are like, okay, so you're not so different from me. Whereas before the, you know, stuff like that, where obviously, you know, you're going to like me or not like me or think I'm professional or not professional regardless of my title. But it revealed in me that I hung my own, you know, self-esteem on these titles. So stuff like that, it, 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 it required time for me to be gentler to myself and yeah. it humbled, you know, it doesn't mean that you're lazy. I think that's a mistake that trainers and lots of people make when they see somebody or they have a aesthetic view in mind, you know, and they say, well, if this person doesn't have that right now, and I'm going to say right now, because it's a cycle, right? Nobody stays super lean year round, just like you don't have to necessarily be heavier all year, you know, things are sick. Yeah. 
but it's easy for trainers to get into this mode where they're like, oh, you're just lazy. You know? It's, like, it's really, it's really easy for us to be condescending upon each other. I, yeah. I mean, that, that, that is sort of and part of it. Clients. And our clients are like, oh, you traveled. It was a two hour flight. You didn't get a workout in. You're lazy. Well, maybe this person was preparing for an, an enormous uh, meeting or talking thing at a conference and wanted to fly in and get some rest. Maybe yeah. you don't have to do that barbell complex that you feel that they have to do so that, you know, all these sorts of things. Like if you have an, an important job to do, your, your energy has to go towards that. You know, yeah, I mean, you have a choice. So it costs something, meaning it costs you that one workout or the intensity in that workout. But that shouldn't reflect on you as a human being. Like now you're a lazy person, a bad person, uh, you know, not worthy person of some kind. Yeah, I know you and I both, you travel way more than I do at this point with the PCC, where it's, we're going to fly in, say you're flying into China or I'm flying in, uh, you know, Australia or Japan, and I'm only going to be there, you know, a limited amount of time. And it's like, is the workout my priority? Like my body feels like crap from flying sure. 15 to 24 hours. I mean, I know I'm going to have to demo stuff, mm-hmm. you know, all day for a day or two. Um <laughs> and then I actually want to try to try to embrace the place that I'm at. And by the time you get home, you know, a week's gone by or five days have gone by. Uh, and then when you get back, now mind you guys, like I, we still do stuff to like reset and uncork ourselves because you would literally break down pretty dramatically. Um, you know, I am one of those guys rolling around on the floor and crawling at the gate of the airport if it's a long flight. But you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think it's good when we realize that and we can come to grips with it and then figure out how to adjust our training schedules to fit our lifestyles. Right. I think a lot of times that really then translates to the people we train where a lot of us, and I know I did this, start out trying to apply how I train to the people that come into me, whether or not that actually fits, um, you know, at the time their goal or what their lifestyle is or what they're really trying to get out of this session, right? Because it's a limited amount of time. And I know when I've seen how I've had to adjust my stuff, and this applies very much so with my online people who sometimes, you know, their sessions might be 45 minutes long, sure. uh, not full, not because I'm not worried about, is this going to be an hour? Because, you know, mm-hmm. the hour is such a sort of like, billable segment of time as opposed to like workouts need to be 60 minutes long. Uh, you know, I think you start to adjust and and make more meaningful programs, which create more meaningful results and experiences for the people you train. Cause you know, it all comes down to being able to be, have some empathy and be able to relate to the folks. And when we go through those things ourselves, it's, I think it's like really, it's just as valuable as passing a cert sometimes. I would agree. I would agree because ultimately at the end you want people to do the workouts. There's, there's another one of my favorite memes that uh, you, know, you can have the perfect program or, you know, a not so great program, shitty program. But if you're doing the shitty program, you're going to see results because you're doing something. So it's yeah, not yeah. to say that there isn't value in high level programming strategies or that you should throw it out the window, but you kind of have to work with the person that's in front of you and you may not always be with these elite level athletes, or maybe you are. Um, You know, I certainly, the majority of my clients are middle-aged people. I mean, elderly people, just regular people that have a serious professional job and are doing this to have a better quality of life. So it's nice to set certain goals, but I have to be mindful of, you know, you know, this everything costs something principle where, 
it would cost something greater for them to be on something a little bit more strategic for athletes, for example. As much as I would love to bust out my programming chops to prove to whoever that I'm a great coach in terms of that, it, it would make more, more sense to meet my clients where they need to be or where they want to be, you know? Yeah, sometimes applying the things we might love might not be the thing that's going to love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, sound, that sounded deep. um well yeah i think you know the the thing that i keep coming up with too is the the deeper we go down the programming rabbit hole you realize actually for the majority of the non-competing population it it doesn't need to be that complicated at all like I, i do find there's like a very buddhist thing about programming where when you're starting out you're finding all this information and then as you start to get better and better at it, practice at it, because it is like any sort of skill training. The more you program, the better you get at it, the quicker it comes, uh, comes to you. As you start to realize, like, here are these segments. These are the big things I need to hit on this day or that day, right? This is the type of movement patterns, places that need to be strengthened, the kind of mobility we need to work towards to help this person hit their goals. Mm-hmm. And it's usually so much less complicated, but we like to think, I hate to say it. I think there's two, there tend to be sometimes two, two types of the, the, you know, the left and the right of this, like somebody's counting reps and somebody's like doing science equations. And most of us (laughs) need to be sort of in the middle of that where they're just getting the work done. Uh, My friend Joe Gambino just posted this great little uh, meme on Instagram that just talks about, you know, uh, everything shouldn't be three sets of 10. There's reasons for three of three, but then also it doesn't have to be all that much more complicated beyond that. And it's like, when are we waving loads and rep schemes and stuff for goals? And once you get your handle on that, it's like program becomes like really simple. I actually, sometimes I feel bad when I send somebody a new online program. I'm like, look, this is going to look very similar to your last one. Cause that thing was working really well last month and we're not going to change everything for the sake of this is new. We're right. going to change targeted things. So even that starts to simplify because you start to realize like, uh, I know when I uh, started doing certain programs, I felt like everybody needed, if they were training four days, four specific days and every month, every day had a change. It's like, that's ridiculous. That's just me yeah. making work that may or may not have like, you know, any better result than, you know, doing getups every day. Sure. I certainly err on the side of, I mean, caution is a strong word, but I'm a little more conservative because it really boils down to the individual's adaptation over time. You don't yeah. take the amount of time for these things to happen. You want to allow for that time to happen. So changing things up frequently, I think, is kind of a, a problem for the trainer because they're getting bored. It's not because the person is ready for that or needs it. It's you, you know, I talk about this a lot in some of my articles. Um, You know, I think the beauty of our job and the people that do it best are able to, I mean, you have to put yourself into your sessions. You know, you're, you're a person, you have your observations, you're coming from a place of your own life experiences, but really your job is to kind of remove as much of that as possible and just use your observant eye and kind of observant, I'm going to get cheesy here, but observant heart, you know, yeah. you're to you, um, reporting to you who they think they are and where they would like to go. And sometimes that's the same person. <laughs> they're, they're, they are already where they want to be. They just don't know it. Or maybe they're too far away from this person. 
or you know maybe there's other things that you need to address but you can't really do that properly if you injected all of these personal things on them so that's a clear case of okay are they prepared for this are they ready for this are they capable of resting enough between to do these big leaps in the program or do I need to do this to them to prove to them something or to prove to my peers something? And I think that can be tricky to parse out what's happening. Yeah, it can be really difficult to unpack that. It's interesting how you said how, you know, we could get bored. I think that definitely happens where we're like, you know, ugh, another deadlift, another swing. And, you know, we, we get into that rip. I mean, like, here's the big secret on kettlebell complexes, guys. Like, people love to post them, but it's like, I, I, you know, it's like, instead of doing five swings and five clean impresses, make it six, ladder down, mind blown. Like it, it is really hard to make that seem so new. It's like that scene and there's something about Mary, Mary, where he's like, uh, Ben Stiller's talking to, uh, Harlan Williams, I think it was his name. And he's like, you know, it's like, yeah, I have a new, I have a new deal for, uh, eight minute abs. It's going to be seven minute abs. And he's like, why don't we do six? He's like, that's ridiculous. You're fired. Uh, it does you would do that. What are you insane? It, it does become that a little bit, but here's the other side of that coin. Sometimes, sometimes we get too caught up thinking we have to entertain them with our programs because we're afraid they're going to get bored. And I think that is like on us about setting up training expectations from the get go. I think that's another thing trainers put a lot of false pressure on themselves. Uh, you can have an entertaining session without having to throw like a bunch of junk or randomness or complicated stuff in your program. But I think that's another end of that where we're like, they're going to get bored if I just switch these few things around and change reps up. But not really. Cause if they're like, here's the thing to all the trainers and enthusiasts out there, right? Cause I know we've got a bunch of enthusiasts listening guys. No one's getting bored. If they're feeling stronger than ever, if they're looking better than ever, if they're just moving better, maybe there's a little less pain there. Like no one's going to be like, I need to do something completely different. It's when stuff doesn't work that we then like really have to adjust. I, I was talking to somebody who was a veteran trainer the other day who was mentioning like how banged up they were within their training. And, you know, at some point I had to be like, I wish I could have said it, like maybe if you're still so banged up from your training, your training isn't working for you. Right. If ultimate sandbags or kettlebells were hurting my back and shoulders, if I was losing training time because of like multiple injuries, guys, anything can happen at any time. We all tweak ourselves here or there. But like if I felt weaker because of consistent use of my training, especially over years, we have to reevaluate what works. Yeah, that's a right? problem. And I think that's part of it. So I think, you know, if we know that there's progress being made, we don't have to entertain. The entertaining can be in like, you know, whatever it is, the cueing, the sequencing of it, the, the, how we wave the challenge level within the course, within the course of the program. But uh, for anybody out there, if you're feeling results that are real, if you're seeing results in the mirror, you're doing something right. Don't let this, don't let your coach overcomplicate this. Let them keep you safe and guide you, but don't feel like you need to get out like, you know, some sort of calculus book to start hashing the science out. Sure. Um, the science for me, I, 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 you can buy in as much as you want. I, I'm, I'm game for it. But the entry point is how much you are willing to record. 
So I'm a huge fan of journaling of all kinds. If you are interested in weight gain or loss or anything like that, you have to be prepared to record everything that you put in your body. So if you're able to do that, then we can talk about more detailed information. If you want to do something specific with your workouts or achieve a, a certain press or these sorts of things, you have to keep meticulous notes. So for a lot of folks, they'd say, you know what, that's a little too much work for me, no thanks. And I, I, I got to be straight up. I say, okay, well, we can certainly get some kind of results, um, but it's it, we can't put something that specific on something if you're not prepared to write this stuff down because your personal accountability, it's kind of a litmus test for initial personal accountability. Now, let me be clear, just because you don't record anything doesn't mean that you're not personally accountable. You're just saying, hey, you know, I don't care if I get a beast press or whatever. I just want to press more than I'm pressing now. I'm all for it. Don't record anything. But if you're saying I really want to go up two and a half pounds every eight days or something, then, then you, you've got to record. So I kind of, that's my, my, my meet you halfway point. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm on the other side of that coin to some degree. If I'm working on like hitting a deadlift, like I, I know, like for example, I took Marty Gallagher's purposeful primitive workshop at oh, Phil Scarito's cool. place in, in, in King of Prussia. Nice. And I followed his 12 week program to a T. Like I wrote out all the exact mm -hmm. percentages, you know, all the, how the reps changed every four weeks. And I wrote a blog and then Marty reached out and he's like, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to write the blog. Mm -hmm. uh, my only regret is if you spoke to me, if you reached out, I would have gotten you better numbers. And then he actually started getting more random and loose, like roughly <laughs> try to see this for a triple. Right. right. So right. I don't have deadlines. Like I, you know, when it comes to barbell, yeah. I do tend to teach, take meticulous uh, details of what I'm doing each week. Mm -hmm. um, I've stopped sort of like figuring out the exact percentage for myself. Yeah. I know within like, you know, a five to 10 pound range, what that was, what that was, I take notes of that. Um, but yeah. in my normal training, I don't write a lot down. I got to admit too, like, uh, you know, I've got Graves disease now. So uh, yeah. I have to be very careful how the duration of the intensity of either a lift or a session is because I'll start yeah. to, um, I, I wouldn't say that I tremor still to that degree, but I'll start to get a little less stable. So I just kind of know what I did this week and I know what I did, you know, in the last month in my head and in kettlebells and ultimate sandbags, it's like somewhat less about the specific weight. It's more about how many reps is this? Like, what's my triple on my press right now? Where can I go from there? Where's my get up? And I use those as looser baselines, a little bit more flowy. And then when I feel like I'm having a great day, I try to push the envelope a little bit, but I'm not really chasing one rep maxes on anything. And that has been really um, a relief for me. Mm -hmm. of not having that extra stress like am I hitting these marks right. like pistol squats for example you know like at the PCC Danny and Alan you guys are are super chill about guys it's just practice start yeah. here try to get to here could take you like a week could take you two three years you know um could take seven years if you're gonna do like a one-arm pull-up take a long time so my pistol practice is really meticulous because it completely mm -hmm. went away when the tremors had kicked in um, and now it's one of the my most fun things to work on but I'm going to a box and I'm edging lower 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 so I think there's like approaches but I, I think it's so specific when you have a goal that requires that um, I wish more people kept track of their nutrition 
um, because I think that's where people think they're doing a lot better than they are. I know in the precision nutrition manual, there's yeah. like this, there's this graph of what they think they're doing and they'll tell you they're doing. And then like, here's the reality of what the macros are. Uh, so I think it's cool to have different like styles and approaches to that. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, even it, this is like me being a big advocate for journaling. So maybe for, if you were my client, I'd say, Hey, record how you feel during these yeah. so that we could get individual trends because we're just talking about you, you know, we've got all the, the percentages and we've got the ORP mag cycle and we got all these crazy things, but you know, I agree. And depending on what's happening with you, recording can help you get a sense of how things are feeling. Or if you're like, you know what, every time I go, I have a client that, you know, was actually pretty into it and recording kind of things that would happen in his life and the lifting stuff, because sleep was always the thing that we were trying to chase. Yeah. And the last couple of times he deadlifted, he'd had, you know, a big event the night before or, you know, a, a sick five-year-old or something like that. But he was coming into the session and thinking, oh, I'm just terrible at deadlifting. And then we looked at the journal and we're like, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't plan it the day after you have this big event. So it was a pretty easy fix after that. But, you know, just, just personal trends that can be helpful. Yeah. You're not even writing down the sets and reps. So you're saying, hey, I got five hours of sleep. I trained. I felt great. And this other day, you know, I went to a wedding and ate some cake and barfed at my thing, you know, whatever, whatever it is so that you can just get a hold of what's going on with you, you know, to the same degree that you're mentioning the precision nutrition there, this experience of what you think is happening. And this happens even during the exercise, right? You have that max deadlift that feels like it's going on for 10 seconds. It went by in one second. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Such it, a this process is, is, is hopefully a, a way to just get in touch with that or knowing that there's a disparity sometimes between what you're feeling and what's actually happening, you know, or the, for the folks that are wondering if they're getting results, if you're seeing, you know, Hey, these numbers are going up. If you're recording the sets and reps or, Hey, I always feel great. You know, I, this camping trip that we go on every year, I was able to do things that I never did. You know, that sort of stuff that yeah. recording can be helpful or even the folks that are, you know, they, they don't realize how much they've done in a week. <laughs> They're like, oh, I actually worked out four days this week. Totally nuts. No wonder I'm exhausted or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's, that's a, kind of where I'm coming at it. You know, so anyways, everybody should record their stuff. It doesn't matter what you, you can get record as much as you want or as little or it can be emojis or whatever it is. As long as you get a sense of what's going on with you. This <laughs> <laughs> is the only way. Yeah, your man. Workouts. Uh, I, I smell a fitness app in the development yeah. of uh, recording your workouts with emojis. You know, it's interesting in, 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 in not just even recording. I know like I've gone through such, such different mental approaches to my training. Sure. I know for a long time before I found kettlebells and became a trainer, I felt like I had to like crush myself for long periods of time, mm -hmm. you know, just doing like, I guess what was traditionally bodybuilding without realizing that's what it was. I know when I was going through the divorce, I would try to like, I'm so fucking pissed right now. I'm going to take it all on at all on these weights right now. I'm going to lift this and squat <laughs> yeah. that. And uh, I remember getting like tweaked real bad. I think I was trying like a 44 K pistol squat, which I had done before, but I was like, that shifted my hip for a while oh, and then somewhere leading in after that injury and going through like all the relationship stuff I was going in I just tried to find like I found my happiness factor in training and just like the joy of training right. you know I'll still throw on the angry music but I got to that point like if I was approaching the bar and someone made a sound it would blow my rep like I'd be like bah he's got a <laughs> face 
I got like too aggressively into it as opposed to, you know, trying to find the joy in it. And then this is sort of the segue into something I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, even when you're approaching it, fitness from a state of joy, uh, you know, the pleasure of moving and exerting, there is like a, uh, uh, you are going to be put into dark situations sometimes where you really, your brain is going to work against you and tell you to stop. And I don't mean folks in an injury type of way. Like I am not a no pain, no gain guy, but in a way where like, I really want to put this down because I just don't believe my body will let me do it. Mm -hmm. When really with a more positive mindset, your body's actually going to let you do more. And I think that's one of the things when I first heard at that RKC, you and Noah talking about some of those Jim Jones workouts and some of your kettlebell routines, that was like actually one of the goals was to like find that dark spot and like come out, you know, uh, you know, I guess for a marathon, it would be your wall and right. just destroy the wall. Can you talk a little bit about the hunt for that and the victory from that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't like to position in terms of like the darkness and the light and these sorts of things, but uh, the purpose of a lot of those style workouts, they're, they're generally voluminous of high volume and maybe heavy weight and maybe moderate weight, might be lightweight, it might involve uh, no weights. It could be highly aerobic. Really, I feel, or my interpretation of the purpose of those workouts are really to get you to a place mentally where exactly as you say you're negotiating with yourself mm-hmm. i can stop right now do i want to stop right am i choosing it am i choosing to stop now or is it because my body can't do an additional rep or am i really in danger or am i just feeling you know heart palpitations and sweat or you know you, you become acutely aware of what's going on in your body and i think with those discussions those internal conversations you can grow from that immensely. You know, if you find yourself being able to have these conversations and say, okay, let's try a little bit more. Or sometimes you stop. You're like, you know what? I'm choosing to stop. Not because I'm weak, not because I'm whatever. You know, this this isn't exciting me. Or here's the challenge. We're going to add one more rep or whatever it is. It's the conversations, I think, that make the biggest impact. And in that style, I think this high kind of higher volume sets cancel the noise out you know you have like the first period where you're really kind of adjusting yourself trying to figure out your technique um maybe you're thinking about other things it's not that tough yet you're not really breaking a sweat but at a certain point those sorts of thoughts kind of go away you know I, for example i mean for me i don't train with music i don't listen to music i don't listen to headphones and I mean, I, I kind of joke that I want to make my workouts as difficult as possible, but really I want to be in my workout. I want to have the space to, you know, have those conversations with myself yeah. and see if I can keep asserting my discipline or my concentration or my attention to each of my reps and my breath and these sorts of things, because I, I do believe you get more out of your workouts and your reps if you're engaged you know arnold would talk about that in the old days of imagining his muscles growing and pulsating and he could imagine the blood going down the veins and these sorts of things and i don't know the science behind that but the results are are pretty clear so um i'm doing that on a much smaller scale (laughs) but i'm really trying to be present you know he talks about being present and being in the moment and these sorts of things i think that's the best way to do it 
So in terms of the darkness and things like that, you might find that, you know, you get to a point where things don't feel so great. And then you've got to make a choice. You know, in some cases, you don't have a choice. I mean, a lot of these methods were, uh, were kind of come at, came out of this extreme alpine hiking uh, methods because you go up the mountain, you can't just abort. You have to go yeah, down yeah. the mountain. You brought so much food. There is so much, you know, stuff that you have to carry. And so you're having this conversation with yourself, as I understand it, all the time. You know, in our workouts, we get to just stop it and say, okay, I'm done with this. But the gym is a place where you get to flirt with these feelings so that hopefully when you get out on that mountain or you get out to whatever it is that you're doing, that you're, you're not so unfamiliar with that feeling and you know the limits of your capacity for these sorts of things. So it's not the goal of being crazier in the gym. The goal is to make you better outside of the gym or, or just know yourself uh, more intimately and your range and really kind of what to do when things get hairy. So maybe the goal isn't to always go to these dark places, but to, you know, tap into these kind of unseen places in your psyche or in your body. I mean, historically in, in all parts of the world, right, they have these kind of extreme things that are rites of passage to kind of get you back into yourself or into your spirit whether it's, you know, ice bath or going into a forest with no rations and you got to make yourself, you know, get home. We really learn a lot from these extreme experiences. So those are really extreme. You know, hopefully in the gym we can have these moderately extreme conditions where things become clear. So that kind of appeals to me. You mentioned me being kind of a rock enthusiast, which I am. So that's, you know, the grittiness yeah. and the extreme feeling, you know, I, I'm going to kind of depart a little bit. I feel like in our society, we're permitted to feel lots of things except for anger, you know, that's, <laughs> or rage or any of these more intense feelings. It's an unsavory feeling and we don't like that. We want you to be polite. We want you to be subdued, but you, you can't. And the more you push it down or avoid it, I think the worse that it gets. So this is also a way to explore these darker sides and your psyche so that you can kind of be free of it or at least acknowledge it and come back to balance, you know? Yeah. You have to be able to make friends with that to some degree, not as a get out of jail free card, but you know, uh, that, that type of training you're talking about, there's points where, you know, there's the physical strengthening, but there's also the mental, you know, outcome of that if we train in a certain way anybody that starts just to feel stronger and look better is immediately going to have sort of like a confidence boost you know mm -hmm. uh it, it's somewhat undeniable unless there's like some sort of severe sure body dysmorphia or self-loathing type thing going on which happens i mean i know oh, I've, yeah. I've, I've dealt with some stuff like that but i think when you know for me uh you know when it when i used to run I remember just, you know, wanting to stop, you know, my first 10 mile run that I've ever done was like in a pouring rain. I didn't plan on it. And I was just out and I was just like, you know what, this is freaking miserable. Let's make this awesome. And I just kept extending my run and proved, you know, it's one of those things where you get home, you're like, I did it. I did that. Right. Um, you know, I think, you know, uh, the snatch test with a kettlebell for those that yeah. don't know, based on your body weight, for me, it would be a 24 K kettlebell, um, kettlebell snatches overhead a hundred times in five minutes. So you can put it down as much as you want. You can switch hands as much as you want, but that's swinging a kettlebell from 
behind between your legs to a lockout overhead a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, 53 pounds. And when I was training it, it's the first time I trained something where I almost threw up. Like I remember like the first time I actually went for it, I was like, holy, that's what that is. The second time, not so scary. Uh-huh. Right? And then you finally get into the groove where, and I tell this at the certs, I, I know what my mental process is going to be when it's mm-hmm. time for me to do it. Right. Around like the first 40 reps are really like pretty, pretty damn simple. It's two sets of 10 per side. Like you're kind of there. But around like 50 to 60, you start going <laughs> like, oh shit, I'm only like halfway done. <laughs> Here we go. Uh-huh. And it's 60. I tell myself I've only got two more sets of 10 per side. Mm-hmm. I can do that. I can get two more sets of 10 per side if I've already done this, because why am I going to waste that? So there's that victory that comes mm-hmm. at the end of it, not just because you pass the test, like that's amazing, but like somewhere in your psyche, self-doubt crept its head and said, no. Right. And guys, I'm talking about like a technique, like we're using a technique. So we're exhibiting safe technique on this thing. So there isn't Uh, you know, an immediate injury risk or anything like that. It is literally like, can I push myself Mm -hmm. to get this done? And belief is a huge part of that, right? Just like, I know I can do it. I'm going to get it done. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, but even if you fail it, I know for myself, I've learned more from my failures than from any of my successes. Mm -hmm. And I think people are so afraid of failing something. I mean, we've all gone on one of these strength test based courses where there's a test and like, despite two to three days of education, the focus is all on this test, which is completely misguided. And I know I've done it myself. I'm not talking down at anybody. Uh, I'm talking to the man that I can see above Annie's head in this conference (laughs) thing that we're doing, uh, where we get so focused on that aspect of it that we forget everything around us. So I think once you've gone through those things, uh, you know, I, I recertified, about eight or nine times. So that's like eight or nine snatch tests that I had like a team leader or a senior or master instructor from either group, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of testing me. And I was never happy about it. I was never not nervous about it, Mm -hmm. but you start to just trust, you know, you can get it done. And I think that's an important thing when our carry out into training into real life is to know you can get it done. That if you, not right now, it's like, I'm not going to tell somebody cold to go do a snatch test, but if you have a goal, a timeline, and you prepare through practice, right? You can do it. And I know those are things I didn't really think about prior to, you know, my fitness goals originally were all like, how big are my arms and chest looking? How, you know, how, what is my waist doing? Cause I had no idea about these types of fitness goals. And I think it's important. And that's one of the things that fascinated me when I first Uh, I wouldn't say first met you, but when we were hanging out like at that RKC and then later on about your training is I think it's really cool when people can find a safe spot to challenge themselves in that way. It's one of the things I love about farmer carries with kettlebells, like in a, in a class environment. It's one of the few things that are pretty self-limiting if they can get the bell safely off the floor to be like, can you go this far? Can you go this long? Your brain is somewhere going to tell you that like, nope, your grip's going. Nope. Too heavy. My hands are too slippery. But you can pretty much safely go usually much farther than you give yourself credit for. And there's few exercises and movements that we can do that. The problem is I think that gets lost in some sort of high intensity workout of the day craziness where we're just, we're going to push you. (laughs) That's like a different thing, right? That becomes like a slightly different environment. 
No, agreed, because there's the kind of, I want to feel as much pain as possible. That's very different to my mind than having these kind of ruminations, these psychological ruminations and using, you know, to your point, relatively safe things like a goblet squad, just do as many as you can until you can't, you know, you're not going to get hurt, you know, we'll use a lightweight, uh, you pause as many times as you want, that sort of thing to, to kind of elicit that, that conversation. So I think that really is the only goal of, of most training is to flirt with these different levels of discomfort and have these conversations and that translates into you being more accustomed to that when you confront it in and out of the gym so that it you know you're kind of creating this continuum yeah. of what's the scariest thing you've ever felt or thought or something like that and if you don't have a lot of experience in your body maybe you haven't trained here you know lots of folks really don't feel a lot of things in their body you know things are pretty comfortable these days so when you get into training you feel stuff but you don't really know at what point there's an injury or is this too far or these sorts of things because your continuum is, is pretty narrow you know it's it, that's no judgment it's just you lack the experience you know so then you start building this experience your continuum gets broader so maybe the first day of your squat you know that was the worst thing you'd ever experienced now it's in your warm-up you can talk while you're doing it no problem now now we're on to some bigger things so so that's how i view training is, is a way for us to kind of flirt with all these different feelings and, and and build that continuum so that hopefully the rest of the things that you do in your life are much simpler yeah you know <laughs> and, hopefully and that's pretty much it you know? <laughs> I, I love that you use the word discomfort because I've, I've i don't know if i've actually heard it used that way and i think it opens up so many positive aspects of what training is that people equate discomfort with fear as opposed to discomfort just being not comfortable because we have gotten so used to being comfortable like it's for some people it's like really discomforting to actually even walk into a gym like it's unsettling it's like it's not my happy place um um, yeah. people walk in immediately feeling judged then there's the exercise where people will say this doesn't feel good Right. You know, I don't like how this feels. Well, we have to go and unpack that deeper into what is that. And that translates outside of fitness. That translates into like, I don't like this thing at my job. I don't like this task at my job. Well, why is that? Because mm -hmm. a lot of the times it's like we're writing our own stories about what we think our experience should be, whether it's the gym or on at the desk or on the store floor or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but it's actually not the actual true scenario of what's happening in the moment. Now you can always unpack what the hell does in the moment mean, but <laughs> being able to embrace being uncomfortable is a really important thing. I remember Pavel used to joke that your comfort is not my main concern. And that is, <laughs> it, it's legit. Now pain and discomfort though, that's the other end of the spectrum where so many people think it has to be painful. How you're saying there's like Kathy Dooley and I talked about it on the previous podcast there. There are people that feel the success of their workout is only by how much it hurts. Right. And more often than not, you're going to find those people having long gaps in their training because they're dealing with injury. Uh, and it's trying to find a line, that mental process of pushing yourself into those dark spots. And, and, and I just call them guys, dark spots, dark zones, because that's how I perceive it. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm an empire strikes back. I'm losing. <laughs> I'm dropping into that hole at Dagobah and I cut the head off of Vader who is actually, it's me. 
because <laughs> it, you know yeah, he's my dad but it's me i'm looking in there and if you have if that's a spoiler folks you're you're fucked <laughs> get tickets for the last jedi um but i think that's where people get confused by what that should be what that bullshit no pain no gain thing is versus like you are going to be uncomfortable to train discomfort's there it's like some of us i know i love what it feels like to press something heavy overhead but i, I i'm sure if i didn't really love the what that experience is like it could just as equally be as pure discomfort <laughs> right, <laughs> it's not, if it's not pain right now there's people that will do that or do something overhead to the point where their shoulders are blowing out and it feels rewarding yeah. but that is like legitimate structural injury yeah. happening and so folks wh whoever you're training with is your trainer trainers is this is you enthusiasts like it's okay to be uncomfortable. You need to try new things. You need to have trust in yourself and in your coaches in particular. Like if you're new to this, you need a good coach. And if you question if your coach is good, there's a good chance maybe they're not. I'm just going to like not saying that to be cocky, but you have to have faith in the person. Um, and you should also check like testimonials because, you know, sometimes faith is misguided on those fronts. Um, but that's why I use the term flirt because if yeah. you, I don't want you to live there, you know, I want you to flirt with it. Let's try something you've never tried a little bit, you know, we'll just see what that's like so that you're kind of, you know, acutely present. I think when you get into these kind of ground and pound zones, that's when you check out. So that's when you've gone too far. You know, yeah. I can't tell you exactly where that point happens, but there's a certain point in some of these where you go away and that's not what we're trying to do. That doesn't expand your continuum. That doesn't get you more used to um, handling difficult situations because now you're just system shut down. You're going on autopilot. You're just getting it done in whatever way possible. And, and that's different. I, I don't mean you want to work in this like complete robotic survival mode. Um, you, you actually want to learn things <laughs> or hopefully learn things. And that requires you feeling it and being present and working with it. So that's, that's kind of my line. And I think it, you know, it's different for everybody. You know, you got a higher work capacity, maybe that line gets reached at a different point. So, yeah. so it has to be your consciousness. <laughs> where do you start to check out? And that's where you got to stop. I think. And it's a great way to de develop your own self-awareness. So these things do become less scary Yeah. down the line. And, and, Look, the, the achievements done in the training room or in a sport, like they should carry over to how we approach our life. Like, a, a, you know, a great event in the gym should help boost your day in one way or another. Uh, and I think those carryovers are really good. And when you when when it's not easy, mm -hmm. um, but it's not overwhelmingly crushing difficult. And I, guys, I'm also going to say this. I don't necessarily say you should be training a snatch test every day. Those are not like snatch, you know, those are not the type of sessions we're talking about. There are sessions where you're going to push this. And then a lot of your sessions are going to be more like pretty chill, um, you know, uh, seven to eight out of 10 uh, effort level. Uh, versus like pinning at nine ten, and it does come down as Annie said exercise selection on that I mean I think that's where people try to create these hard experiences um, that their exercise selections off and that's where it becomes increasingly risky like you can push hard and not get hurt um, but you have to know why and I think that's one of the interesting things talking to you know the people that have been coming on here is everyone that's come on so far can tell me a why behind what they're choosing to do for themselves or for somebody. But I don't think you can go to every gym and ask the trainer, why are you doing that? <laughs> like I, I have somebody, you know, I just, somebody's programmed. Uh, I, I know that takes about seven to eight classes a week. Mm -hmm. So do that math a week, eight, potentially eight classes a week. Right. 
Wow. And then trainer is given a lot of excessive, uh, ex, I shouldn't say excessive. I don't want to be the judge of, but, but extra training mm -hmm. on top of that three to four days a week. And we have to have a why. Why is that? Other than if I do more benching, I'm going to get a bigger chest. Like there has to be a more of a reason if we're looking at all of this training time spent on the floor. Because here's the other lost element. Guys, uh, you, you shouldn't spend your life on the gym floor unless you're a professional or a competitor. Like you should yeah. be able to get in and get out and feel really good, <laughs> um, whatever that experience is for you, right? That's the other thing. It shouldn't have to be a two-hour, you know, brawl. Um, right to get results because just like what annie said in the beginning it is consistency of showing up that's going to win the day you can have one month of the best training most intense training sessions of your life but if for some reason you don't go back for a month it's not as good as having like pretty damn decent training sessions for two months straight and that's one of the things I, I hope demystifies out of this podcast for people that aren't trainers or people that are newer trainers. Like I want to make all of your work easier. It's still going to be uncomfortable. You still got to put that effort in. You're still going to challenge yourself and test yourself. But like the perception of TV, uh, and this isn't a CrossFit bash, but you look at the things that are happening in those uh, fittest of the world CrossFit docs. Like I was like, no trainer should ever ask that of you, what they're doing back to back in those events. They're competing in a sport. Competition things go out of like a different approach. Yeah. Um, Dan, uh, Dan John, right? The amazing Dan John at RKC that we all taught at together. You know, he spoke greatly that like he, he has a physical toll on his body from choosing to compete. But as a competitor, he was able to make a living to support his, not only his family, but his kids and his grandkids. Like he made the choice. I think a lot of us don't realize we're making this choice of risking our bodies without that type of goal. <laughs> we, we're just, yeah, there's no check. There's no long-term. It's sort of an appearance feelsy thing as opposed yeah. to, and I think a lot of people miss that, right. that I need to go through this gauntlet. Whereas, you know, and I love that Dan mm -hmm. said it because I've actually ne I've never heard him break it down that way it's he chose it and right. sometimes we're making the wrong decisions and i've met enough people uh dudes you tend to be to blame on this one a lot but i know the ladies do it too where it's just you're setting yourself up to compete with some sort of an image that isn't really real right. and you can let yourself off the hook and just put some hard work in on that well, that's the thing, you have the CrossFit Games, you're not seeing how many hours they're sleeping, how many hours of PT, stretching, drinking collagen, whatever it is that they have to do behind the scenes for this one or two hour thing that they're really killing it, you know? The hours that you're going to work, they're sleeping or they're stretching <laughs> or they're doing, you know, whatever, a free aerobic row at a pace, you know, or whatever it is that they're doing to fill in those gaps. They're spending yeah. that time doing these things. So it's not that you're a weakling or that you don't have the discipline because you come in and you're not lifting those weights or you want to do you know x y and z you have filled your time in such a way that almost prevents you from that or at least for right now so i'm going to keep going back to this cycle you know the these athletes are also going to have a different cycle when they have their off season they they may choose a different career at some point but at this time if you want to engage in that high level of stuff, you really have to change your lifestyle completely. So you, you really can't have it all, you know, I'd yeah. love to say that you can, but you can't have it all right now. How's that? So yeah. you, know, you don't get to see all that stuff because that stuff isn't glamorous, right? 
like the, okay, I'm going to eat this and drink this much liquid and shop for spirulina powder or whatever it is that I need to do because that makes me feel great, you know. We're going to go um, sit in this garbage can of ice. I mean, it's yeah. super impressive. Yeah. Uh, it, but it, it's, you know, again, it's not what everyone needs. And I say that about a lot of different methodologies, like in how hard we push it. I, I, guys, again, I'm not, I'm not dishing, dissing no, CrossFit I, on this one. I have an immense respect for these, these athletes, you know? So I think it's almost, it's, it's unfortunate and kind of embarrassing for folks that are like, Oh, I'm going to just step up and do that. I'm going to spend most of my day doing something else, but you know what? I can do exactly what they're doing. It's, you know, it's kind of like the <laughs> folks that have never been to the military, but they pretend that they're militaristic. I'm like, you know, I have mad respect for these people. They're actually out there getting specific training and going to another country. You know, like it's, it's not the same thing. I get yeah. that you're an individual. I get that you, stand for certain things you have these philosophical conversations with yourself about honor and code of ethics and things like that and you can 100 percent live in accordance with those values but that's not the same thing as you know going to hell week or whatever it is comparing <laughs> yourself to and i think that happens with you know these crossfit competitors where they're they're really operating on a very different level and it's a mistake to think that you know you can do that while yeah, to, working another job like this is their job so to be the you know like uh uh you know a middle age or near yeah. middle age mom or dad to think that that's going to be the workout regime unless you have hopes of competing again but like guys like there's a there's a risk and a cost away. yeah and you got to step away from other things you yeah. know so it's fine i'm not saying that you're barred from doing it i'm saying if you work a job that keeps you somewhere other than the gym for eight hours a day you are effectively barred at this time <laughs> Because that's just kind of the hours we're given day to day, you know. Oh, that's such a good rules. point. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Any, those are all good points. Uh, it's about time to start wrapping this up. So we mentioned the metal, and I didn't realize when I first met you uh, how deep the heavy metal rabbit hole you are. You, you you're a part of. So uh, I would like to know your three favorite metal bands of all time. Hmm. Pantera's got to be number one. That's tops. I mean, how, how broad are we allowing for metal? Because I put Motley Crue up there. I There's think so it's tough, but definitely. You can go up to Dr. Feelgood on the metal front. I think with that, I don't know their later albums. You can claim them. They're not, they're not <laughs> like, a, they're not like a warrant. I don't know if I'd claim like warrant, but uh, I, I, you can claim crew, man. Shout out the devil uh, the is devil. a great album. Yeah, it's a, I mean, and then Alice Cooper. I mean, he's one of my favorites. He was the first concert I ever went to when I was seven years old, I believe, six or seven years old. I oh, had wow. my motorcycle jacket. I begged my mom for it. It's you know, I grew up in L.A., so it was just hot as hell. And so I was <laughs> just like, you know, pretty awkward weirdo kid with a white motorcycle jacket, really blunt bangs. You know, was the style of the time. Um, and yeah, so Alice Cooper rocks my world. I, I really, I'm kind of a pan rock metal lover, but Pantera be at my top. Um, awesome. Yeah. Is there a third? Or are we going to live with those two? Pantera. Yeah, there like doesn't have to be a third. Well. I mean, I love typo, typo negative. I mean, huge shout out to all my typo lovers. It's funny because I actually listen, if I listen to anything, so I'm going to redact kind of what I said before. I don't listen to music when I work out. I really don't, but if I'm stretching, then I'll listen to typo. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with it's, it's low and low. <laughs> I, I, 
I'm going to have to go with, and it changes over time, but I think I've been, been listening long enough that I think it's really established that like Iron Maiden's got to be the top for me. Uh -huh. um, probably the first like heavy metal love, love affair I've ever had. And then <laughs> Anthrax, man, they've just been putting out like great albums again after a long time of not really hearing from them and still holding it down live. And then the third one, I'd, I'd have to still go back to some old Metallica. Um, and they've had some hits with their some, some really good, great albums. Death Magnetic's a great album. I'm not crapping on all Metallica stuff since back in the day. It kind of doesn't do it for me. I, I'm definitely... Oh, that one. Black. That, like black, black album is really the dividing line. But before that, I mean, yeah, 100% Ride the Lightning. I mean, it's... I'm sure there's some good tunes, but truth be told, I haven't allowed myself to even listen to them. Give Death, skip, purist. skip all of them, except give Death Magnetic an open mind listen to, because that's like, that is like a killer album. I was like very <laughs> pleasantly surprised. And it's funny. I like, I kind of like the Black Album when it came out. It doesn't hold up for me. Yeah. For a long right. time. But I forgot there's like a werewolf song on that one. Like, <laughs> Like you go back to it and you're like, holy, that's so weird. Uh, but when I think back, when you throw on Ride the Lightning, which was the first one I got, I mean, man, that's just it was holds up. It's whole, yeah, that I'd stand behind that. Yeah, and then uh, you know, the, again, you can't mess with that album. The third, the third one's kind of tough, man. I, I might throw Slayer up there. That's probably my third favorite metal band. Okay, okay. Yeah, I would go with that. So I'll, I'll go Iron Maiden uh anthrax and metallica and then slayer i'll put them in the four like I, I hate to say it of the big four bands and i was at that show at yankee stadium uh i respect dave mustaine i'm and, and i can listen to songs i've just never been a huge fan of like listening to a megadeth album so i hope that doesn't offend anybody um, <laughs> but you know it is what it is yeah uh, i go back and forth too i'm, I'm with you it's, that's why it was hard to say who are my tops but pantera is definitely going to top well, one of the great things is like Kim and I get to, we, she loves going to shows too. So we get to see yeah. a lot of new bands, but then we also get to see some old bands. Uh, you know, Ministry just played at Riot Fest, man, and they oh. crushed it. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, it was really cool. Nice. Um, anyway, hey, Annie, is there anything uh, you'd like to say to the group as we begin to wrap this up? Where can they find you? You guys can find me online at my website, AnnieVoe.com. Uh, you can also find me on the Dragon Door website at my own instructor page. Otherwise, I'm personal training people, <laughs> personally, uh -huh, in New York City, in Manhattan, uh, Brooklyn. You might see me on the road. I'm teaching PCCs and RKCs all over the country and world. So uh, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Give me some feedback. Talk about Pantera. Or, or other bands. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, Annie, can you tell? Blind, huh? Can you tell? <laughs> did you just say third eye blind? No, no, subject blind. Oh, <laughs> was like, that's how I'll know that you're not a robot, you know? Yeah, subject <laughs> semi charmed life. Was that them? I don't know. <laughs> Hashtag pocket point. We can't end with this. We can't end with this. We're like, we're like, I need to get licensed to pocket full of kryptonite now to end this podcast. Um, hey, Annie, can you tell the listeners to die mighty? All right. Hey, listeners, die mighty. I'm Annie Bo. <laughs> awesome. Well, Annie, thank you so much for coming on. Listeners, thanks thank for hanging you. out with us yet again. Uh, I cannot believe that we're, uh, we're approaching month two 
the end of month two of the Coach Fury podcast. Thank you so much for your support. Yet again, all the comments, ratings, emails. If you want to show the show some further love, please visit patreon.com slash Coach Fury podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can donate some, make a little donation to the podcast. Um, it's a passion project, but it'd be great to make a little cashola on it too, but I'm going to continue to do it anyway. Uh, also, if you want to find out about any courses or training with me, just go to coachfury.com. There's like tabs and pages for everything. And please stay tuned. Uh, I'm excited to see who our eighth guest is going to be. Uh, it's a good one, guys. Uh, so thank you again, Annie. Thank you to Glenn Urieta for his artwork. Thank you to the FTW for the killer metal tracks at the intro and the end. And uh, thank you folks for listening because people are listening <laughs> i wasn't sure if you would <laughs> annie i will see you soon yeah <laughs> bye everybody the coach fury podcast is created owned and produced by steve coach fury holliner that's me for fury industries llc music by the ftw visit the ftw.nyc for merchandise tour info and the record Artwork provided by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That is G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A or at Glenn Urieta on Instagram and Twitter.